Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to tournament poker strategy. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Fez Buddy and Killing Bird. Hey everybody, welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I am Killing Bird, a.k.a. Derek, and I'm here with my co-host, Ron Fez Buddy, a.k.a. Diego. How's it going, man? I'm good. Hi, everyone. How you, how you doing, Derek? I'm doing uh, pretty well. Excited to be working on the second uh, of our Tournament Poker Edge podcasts. I thought the first one went really well, and from the feedback we've been hearing, um, it seems like everybody out there feels the same way. Yeah, I had a lot of fun doing the first one, um, and with the, the topic and, and the guys we have coming on today, I'm, I'm looking forward to this one as well. I, I was, you know, I listened back to myself, and I thought it was really cool to just finally hear some some strategy being talked about, tournament strategy being talked about um, in depth. So, uh, a lot of fun, and look forward to doing this one as well. Yeah, it seemed like a lot of people liked the format and the content, and you know, of course, having guys like Ween and and Big Dog to talk strategy with is going to make make anything pretty good. So, it was you nice mean- to have them. <laughs> You mean having guys like Big Dog and Ween berate the host? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that was and a little hard to take, reveal. but that's what I'm here for. <laughs> yeah, and just reveal how big of a dunk uh, we really are. Um, yeah. uh, really, I am. Um, no, it was, it, was, it was fine. It was actually really good for me. Um, uh, you know, having those guys, I think we said this last week, but having guys like that look at your, your, your hands and, and the way you play and give you feedback – you know, it's never going to be easy because they're the best, right? So they're going to find a lot of things that you do wrong. And guys who are the best like that, they just are – I mean, they, these guys, they were really straightforward, right? Like they're they're upfront, they're honest, and they don't sugarcoat it. And you got to have a thick skin if you're going to ask those guys to come on. And, and I really – you know, it was, it was a little tough to take because I made some bad mistakes, but it really opened my eyes to some things that, that I did wrong, and I'm – glad to, to have seen it because I've been thinking differently the last two weeks and I hope that that's how some of the people who were listening to the podcast um, took the information as well. Yeah, you're exactly right and I know for me personally, like, I've been working on various parts of my game and, and one of the things that I've been doing, having, having watched a lot of Casey's videos, was starting um, to work on my bet sizing a little bit, which is actually a topic we'll get into more here in a bit, but um, but then I was then I was watching um, the early cuts of the next Ticket to the Man series, which is Casey and T-Twist reviewing my video. Uh-huh. And, I, and I realized that I still have a long way to go in working on my bed sizing. Like, like, <laughs> you, you, you think you're making progress in the right direction, yeah. or maybe, maybe you even think you're there, and then you realize you still have you know, a ton to learn. So it's, yeah, it's a never-ending process, and, and we're pretty fortunate to, to get to have those guys. Yeah, and, it, and it's pretty crazy when the stuff that comes up was like I didn't the the parts that they cru- they crushed me on I didn't even realize were going to be the tough parts of the hand right because they were just like leaks that were in, ingrained in my my head because I, you know quite frankly when I played those hands I was you know eight tabling and probably sitting on my laptop you know and not really paying attention to street by street action I actually have um, cut down the number of tables in the past couple of weeks just to to think a little bit more while I'm playing and, and not be so automatic and, uh, and think street by street, uh, and, and try to put people on more ranges and, and stuff. And it's, you know, it's, it's really helped me uh, attack the game a little bit, I think a little bit better. Um, but it's amazing that you can make some of these mistakes and not even 
realize where the mistakes are happening. You bring the tough hand because you think the turn is tough, and then the flop is where you made a big mistake. And speaking of trying to get better and improve your game, how uh, how have things been going for you with poker? I good. I actually shipped um, I shipped the twenty seven fifty slash twenty k turbo. It's a turbo at eleven forty Eastern on Stars just a week ago, so um, so I'm in a good mood. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> and I'm I'm trying to let it last. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like when you win something, um, it, you know, it doesn't last as long as the the the, 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 the elation doesn't last as long as the uh, the, the downswing um, dejection lasts. Right. right. So I'm trying to hold on to it, and I'm already you know haven't I've had some some. Some the last two or three sessions haven't gone well, so I'm still trying to hold on to that 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 feel of of winning. But yeah, I took down that tournament. Um, it was pretty fun, um, good feeling, and 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 I think I really do think that I'm I'm thinking a little bit deeper about the game. I'm just I find myself thinking, you know, about flops and you know, <laughs> just yeah. thinking about hand ranges even when I'm not playing, and it's it's pretty cool. Um, so yeah, so overall going pretty well. I'm happy to to report that. How, nice. how are you doing? Are you um, not too bad. I've actually not been. Playing as much as I'd like lately, things have been you know busy, obviously, with Tournament Poker Edge and just life in general, so haven't been putting in the volume that I would like lately, but I've put in enough to go on a on a decent-sized downswing. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I had a nice run there, I guess maybe now three weeks or four weeks ago, where I final tabled that 10K on AP in back-to-back right. sessions. Yeah, that was pretty sick. Yeah. yeah, it was fun, you know, finishing first and second. And like you said, like you want that that glow to last forever, but it, of course it never does. And, you know, a couple, couple weeks later, I'm, I'm in the middle of a bit of a downswing, but it's really not anything that I'm panicking about yet, especially, you know, having had conversations with other people who've had much worse. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm just grinding away. I'm actually going to take a few days off uh, coming up here and, uh, and try to get rested up and get my mind cleared out a little bit. And then, uh, and then I'm going to get back to the grind. So, cool. um, you know, we'll, you'll see some sweat threads from me here in the, uh, in the forum soon. Cool. Yeah, I actually um, after the day I actually shipped that tournament, and then I went to Vegas for I believe it for a work thing, um, not for specifically for poker um, for my day job, and uh, and then I got to play at night. So um, I haven't really been playing as much online, but I got to play some live tournaments in, in Vegas uh, last week, and, and that was pretty fun and a change of pace too. It's always fun to you know it could be a grind and it's it's kind of a weird different and i think we should discuss a little bit a weird different situation when you're playing these live nightly tournaments in vegas but it's fun because it, it's a different you know it's a different venue right it's just it, it changes the change you have to think again in slightly different ways you're playing against different type of players yeah. uh, so so i had fun even though i ended up not winning anything I, I made a final table the first the first tournament i played i played so i was there for three nights i think three or four nights and i played every night uh starting usually at seven and i made a final table on the and these aren't big tournaments these are like 70 or 80 or 90 people the max right yeah. uh, but i made the final table as a chip leader in one of them uh and i, and I finished eighth uh, <laughs> which kind of sucked but like you get to the final table and i was chip leader with 16 big blinds right so it's like yeah it doesn't really mean anything and and, and you know i lost uh, I lost tens to queens to the guy who had second chips, right? So I shipped tens, and he wakes up a queen. So you know that just shows you the variance and and those types of things. But but um but those those are pretty fun. Um, and they're interesting. I, I I have to say, if you are going to go to Vegas, uh, I could recommend a daily turning to play. Uh, if you're going to go to Vegas and if there's no big series happening, 
I, I would definitely recommend the Caesars uh, tournaments, the, the Caesars nightly tournaments. Now, I didn't play in the daytime, so I don't know any of the daytime structures and, and what's good there. Although I looked at them, and this seemed to be even still the best one around. 30-minute uh, levels, and all the levels you really would expect, you know, like 2550, 1500, 100, 100, 100, 100, 100, 2-4, 3-6. I mean, that's pretty good for a live tournament with 30-minute levels, right? I mean, you've yeah. played a lot of live tournaments before, right? Yeah, especially for those nightlies, like you said. Sometimes yeah. you get some crazy jumps. You know, you go from like 2-4 to 4-8 or something. Yeah. <laughs> you know, something crazy like that. Or, it, or it'll just skip that 100, 200 with Annie's and go, you know, right. straight straight up from there. Oh, so, yeah, you know, it, it sounds like a pretty good pretty good structure. It was. You know, actually, you just you reminded me. I played at a tournament, like, you know, a home game tournament, like a, a charity. So I think that people are raising res- money for a wrestling team or something. I don't know. I just go play, play right? Um <laughs> And, like, I look at the structure sheet, and they go, like, they go up to 2-5, you know, 2-2,500, 500, sorry. Then they go 5-1, then they go 1,000, 2,000, 2,000, 4,000, uh, 4,000, 8,000, 8,000, 16,000. <laughs> it's like 15-minute levels. And I, I'm like, I tell the guy, I'm like, you know, this is ridiculous. Like, you know, I'm not, like, one of those pushy people. Like, I really, like, don't get in people's faces. But I was just like, and I, I try to tell the guy, this is just a awful structure if you know anything about poker it's an awful structure but uh but they didn't change it and uh i ended up winning it anyway so whatever <laughs> brag <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah no so if you're gonna go to, to to vegas um and you're looking for the nightly tournaments i played uh every i played at venetian and i played at caesars um i've played at mirage before i've played at mandalay bay before um i was gonna check out uh Aria, the new the new casino, but I didn't because the Caesars tournament just dominated it, you know, in terms of uh, structure. So right. um, I looked around, I did a lot of research, and I, I really think those Caesars tournaments are, are, are pretty good and pretty fun. And um, and I really, you know, I got to I got to to, to play a lot of them, and and I, and I enjoyed it. And I tell you, they're different. So you've played a lot of these live tournaments, right? And I think we're good, the, the one in AC is coming up. The uh, the W uh, the WSOP circuit event is coming up in, coming up in AC in yep. December, right? And you're yep. going to that. You yep, I'll be there for that. And yeah, and I've I've played I've played a few out in Vegas, but when I lived in LA and used to go to Vegas a lot, I wasn't really crazy into poker yet. So I, I really got into poker once I moved to the East Coast. So most of my sort of nightly document experience is is up in Atlantic City. But you know, I think the structures are pretty similar across casinos all over the country. So yeah, it's it's just I think we should do a show on it sometime. Like when there's a big live event happening, maybe maybe we'll do one before AC, or maybe we'll do one before the World Series or something. But uh, it's like definitely a different game. Um, I actually struggled with it a bit up front because I wasn't used to six people to a flop and people just calling a lot. And I I, I was you know I, I'm like well I have a skill edge I'm gonna raise every pot and, you know and, and then I'm right. gonna, gonna see bet and double barrel and you know it's just like it was just very messy and it, it you know and like I would go from 10k to 6k you know within like the first you know uh, uh, level or two which really was unnecessary and then I would pick it all back by having a huge edge on these guys when stacks were shorter so I think next time I go I'm just gonna like really tighten up early stages and just try to extract value and something I learned from from just practice you know and the last one I played I think I definitely um, played much better in, in that regards and I, I just went out 14th oh man listen to this one so I, I not, it's not a bad, I'm not gonna I'm not doing a bad beat story uh-huh okay just <laughs> um, you know we're, we're we're playing. I'm, I'm grinding down. There's 14 people left. I think the final table, the full final table pays, and um, I'm finally opening up 
chips and you know a stack and uh there's they move this guy over to our table and he's the huge chip leader and like this guy while he's stacking up his chips you know, I shove my jacks into his kings in the big blind. <laughs> it's like you guys didn't even finish like putting his chips out of his rack, and he just grabbed my thirty big blinds and added them to his stack, and then I was done. So he's like, "Thank you very much, sir." Yeah, he's like, "Yeah," it's like, "You're welcome." Anyway, anyway all right. So anyway, yeah, fun times. Um, yeah, and, and I'm sure you know, like you said, we're we're heading up to Atlantic City um, in December for the the circuit event, which you know, of course. The World Series of Poker Circuit events have really quite good structures, but I think while we're there, we'll have to make sure we get over to, like, the Borgata or, you know, one of those showboat or something to play one of those nightlies, especially if we get some members who come out and want to go out and play a tournament at night. We'll, yeah. we'll go hit one of those things, and we can we can all exchange bad beat stories afterwards. Yeah, yeah. well, the, 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 ACE, the, the, w, the SOP attorneys themselves have really good structures. I mean, I was yeah. Sheet for the one that just finished in Hammond, and um, really, really good good structures. And I think even they're, like, you know, their fast tournament, their $250 or $300 one or whatever, um, has more levels than, you know, most of these nightly tournaments and longer levels. So it should be, you know, a good tournament to play. Yeah, I think it's going to be fun. And I'm obviously looking forward to uh, to hanging out with all the Tournament Poker Edge guys and uh, and a bunch of our members. So it'll be a yeah. fun time. Cool. All right, so what are we what are we talking about today, Derek? Yeah, today today we're actually bringing in uh, Hit the Panda and Hagbard Celine to talk a little bit about bet sizing, which we actually alluded to earlier, and I told you is is something that I've really been trying to work on, and and as I mentioned, um, you know, obviously still have a lot of work to do. I think um, a lot of people, for a lot of people, I think bet sizing is is a big is a big leak and, and something that we all probably need to address. Right. Um, so yeah. I think it's gonna be a really good conversation. Yeah, and it's a good, you know, we're we're trying to keep a structure, some sort of logical flow through how we go through these topics for strategy, and we're trying to stay, you know, we're still in the early stages, and uh, it's really important um, when you're deep stack to understand street by street how how to size your bets appropriately for later streets, and um, like you said, I think there's definitely a lot of leaks there and also a lot of tells for bet sizing, so I'm definitely interested in hearing uh, what these guys have to say about c-betting, and you know, we've always heard two-thirds of the pot, and I wonder if that's still relevant, um, you know, and is it necessary, or can you do something different, and how do we bet size if we want, you know, we're trying to get flop is dry, and we have an overpair, and we want to try to trying to get it in you know how do we bet size appropriately and, and i just think there's a lot of thought that should be going into it and you know this is what they're going to help us figure out today so uh i'm excited yeah. about that I'm ready to talk to them yep i'm looking forward to it uh, as well so we'll take a quick break and we will be right back with hit the panda and hagbard Celine here on the tournament poker edge podcast Are you looking for a poker training site that focuses exclusively on poker tournaments? Tired of wading through cash game videos looking for the occasional tournament video? Well, look no further than TournamentPokerEdge.com. In addition to training videos, Tournament Poker Edge has blogs, forums, a member chat room, poker-related articles, and much more. Pros include Casey, Big Dog, Pocket Fives, Jarzebeck, Ryan Hit the Panda Franklin, and Jonathan Ween. Tournament Poker Edge has the lowest monthly price, and unlike most poker training sites, there is no initial sign-up fee. So sign up today and find out why Tournament Poker Edge has quickly become the number one choice of tournament players looking to improve their poker skills. TournamentPokerEdge.com Hey everybody, welcome back to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. It's time to bring in our special guests, Ryan Hit the Panda Franklin 
and Charles Hegbard, Celine Sizemore, uh, coming in to talk a little bit about strategy today. What's up, guys? How's it going? Hey. hey it's so weird to have, have such a long name. <laughs> <laughs> you chose it. What are you talking about? <laughs> no, that's his actual full name. That's the name that his parents gave him. Actually, you know what? Before we start, why don't you just explain what that is? Because I think a lot of people looking in don't know exactly what a Hagbard Celine is. Uh, Hagbard Celine is uh, the main character of probably my favorite book. It's a science fiction. Well, it was originally a series, but it's now released as like one volume called the Illuminatus Trilogy. Yeah, That's something new every day. There you go. He is our resident uh, intelligista. <laughs> <laughs> when we need someone smart to figure something out, we go to Charlie. <laughs> resident nerd. <laughs> well, I, I chose a, a I chose a fancier <laughs> word that wasn't so derogatory, but <laughs> it's all you, buddy. Uh, thanks thanks for joining, guys. And um, so so today we're going to be talking about uh, early stage play, like like we did last week with Casey and John. Uh, and this time we're going to shift our focus a little bit from specific types of hands to the concept of bet sizing. Uh, I think this is a a really important topic for really players on every level, from beginner to intermediate to, to advanced. And I know as advanced players, you guys do certain things and, and, and conduct certain practices that I think really help you guys extract value, but I think a lot of mistakes are made by less experienced players uh, when they either reveal the strength of their hand through their bet sizing or they don't extract value uh, well enough, and so we wanted to just kind of get your guys' opinions on on bet sizing and 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 go through a couple of hands as examples uh, of of you know specific spots where uh, the hero was presented with an option to to size a bet and what would have been the best thing to do. Yeah, and one thing that I hear people say a lot when pros are asked, you know, what is the number one like leak you see or what is the number one improvement you think people need to make? They, you hear bet sizing a lot. So I'm just wondering if Charlie and Ryan, if you guys agree with that, do you feel like that is the number one thing that people out there need to be working on? I definitely think that bet sizing is probably one of the biggest leaks that players can have and there are huge bet sizing tells that a lot of players that a lot of players have. So yeah, I guess I would agree. Definitely agree with that. Sorry, I, I think it is a pretty big uh, leak for a lot of people, just mainly because a lot of people are over bet sizing in spots where they don't need to be, and they're losing chips that way actually, and they may not realize it. Mm. So not only is it something that you have to focus on uh, to prevent, you know, opponent getting a read on you and being able to balance, but you're also uh, you know, using the least amount of chips or the most amount of chips necessary in each spot, like on the flop and turn and river, so you don't have to put in bigger bet sizes and if they actually have a hand if you're bluffing then you lose less that way as well charlie can you give us an example of a of um a bet size tell just like the standard one of betting big with big hands and small with bluffs um is something that i think you see or i'll see a lot of players do and it's just easy to play against a player that you know is doing that obviously you just fold more when they're betting big and and call more when they're when they're betting small what do you make of when someone makes it 4x out of, out of nowhere? What does that usually mean? It's usually really strong. Yeah, it's usually a, a hand I don't imagine that they're planning on folding. Yeah, I think that's a better way to put it because it, it might not necessarily be super strong, but it's, right. it's a hand he feels is super strong. Exactly. Like it, it might be like eights, which right. in certain situations like really isn't that strong. But when when you see somebody 4x, you can sort of assume that they believe their hand is very strong and they don't want to fold it unless i mean then but then there's also i mean you don't want to overgeneralize you'll you will find people 
they're few and far between, but who 4X is a standard. Yeah, I mean, that's obviously different, but I think for the most part, yeah, definitely for the most 4X part. is, especially out of the blue, like if they had been 3Xing and then suddenly they 4X, then they mean business. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so pre-flop, we're in early stages. We're in early stages, you know, we're talking about early stages, but pre-flop, do you guys generally, when do you guys go from 3X to like 2.5X? Is there like a certain point in the tournament or blind size where you start to make it smaller or do you always start and do you start with 3x or do you go like 4x at 1020 what's your general strategy there usually i 3x until i usually do more based on stack size and uh, pre-ante when my stack size gets to like i guess around 60 big blinds ish i'll I'll change from 3x to 2.5x and that even matters like if it's at 2550 i'll still do that like if my stack size is Around 3k at 2550, I'll start making it 125, and then if I drop down more to like 2000 to 2500, I'll make it a min raise. Uh, that's mainly just the shorter the stack size, the higher the stack to pot ratio, meaning that you'll have more um, maneuverability post flop because the, the pot's not going to be so high where you're just going to have to like you know you bet and they call and then the turns like half your stack. You, it's just to make the pot as small as possible. Uh, before the flop comes so that you can, you know, do stuff like double barrel and fold or be able to put in a raise in and not be committed or whatever. But for the most part, I do like around 50 big blinds to 60. I'll make a 2.5x pre-ante and then I guess 40 big blinds and below, I change it to a min raise. But not a lot of people do that with the min raise part. I guess it's just preference, but I like to do it. Yeah, that's actually really interesting because a lot of times what you hear people say is they, they base it strictly on the blind size when, you know, You'll hear people say, well, I just, I start to 2.5x it when anties kick in or whatever. It's interesting that you base it more on your stack size than on the size of the blinds. Yeah, I mean, I, it doesn't really matter, I guess, what the blinds are. It's, I think it's more about what your stack size is and what the other stack sizes are at the table. Yeah, that's something I used, I used to have like a rule where when I got to, when I got to 80, 160, I would start 2.5x in it, but probably through watching people like Ryan play that I started realizing that what's far more important is just your actual stack size in terms of big blinds and what you want to start developing is like a general plan for the hand. Like Ryan said, um, when your stack's smaller, it's, it's more beneficial for you to have, keep the pot smaller pre-flop so that you can do the same things that you can do with a deeper stack when you're 3xing it. So if we're at like 50 and 100 at, and we have like 3K um, and it gets folded to us like in a late position we want to open. So is like 225 or 250 there good or would you just go to two or would you stay higher at that point? Yeah, I would go smaller usually. I mean, I, I would probably agree with Ryan that it doesn't matter too much. You know, like I'd imagine he would min raise with 30 big blinds there. He's also like a very good post-flop player. I think I don't think there's anything wrong with going to like 225 or 250 especially if you're not that confident post-flop because you oh, are, yeah. when you're min-raising you are going to get flatted more often that extra 50 is going to make um, an appreciable difference in the amount you get flatted and have to play post-flop yeah yeah i'm not saying it's like the best strategy to do what i do with like the min-raises and whatnot uh, i know a lot of people who like even you know most of the top players don't do the same thing but it's more of a preference thing but i do think that you should uh Definitely stop 3xing when you're like around 50 to 60 big blinds. Cool. And then what about once we get to the flop? If we, you know, when we, what do you, what do you guys usually see betting? Is it between 60 and 70 percent? Is there a general guideline that that you guys can recommend? Or I mean, that's, I know everything is just dependent, but yeah, that's that's another one that's really 
a lot like just based on the stack sizes. I mean, right. uh, a lot of the time I'll, I'll go half pot C bets up to like, I guess 50, 60 big blinds again. And mm. then I might make it like 58% or something like that. Uh, just a little bit over or, and then if you get like, you know, if you have people that are flatting you with 20 to 30 big blind stacks, I'll make my C bets like one third pot. Even pre ante? Early. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, if they're gonna flat with those stack sizes, I mean, they with their stack, they just have to, you know, their stack to pot ratio is much smaller than mine, so they're really gonna have to make a lot of their decisions for the whole hand based on the flop. So, you know, a lot of the time they're just gonna pitch it if they don't have anything, especially when the people are flatting that stat, flatting that sizes are, are a lot worse, and they're gonna be folding to a lot more C bets. So when right. they actually do want to call, and they're calling no matter what, you know, you might as well get away with it for cheaper. Exactly. That's a really good tip. That's a really good tip. And board texture is important too. Like yeah. you can you can adjust your C bet size a bit based on board texture. Like textures where it's very unlikely for someone to have hit and they're they're just folding a lot. Um, yeah, yeah. Like even deep. Like if the flop's like two two seven and they call my under the gun open, like I'll just bet half pot. Like I always usually, or a little bit less depending on stack sizes. And what about? I always hear you guys in your videos talk about, you know, sort of having a plan and, and getting, you know, sort of sizing your bets to get all your chips in when you know that you have a strong hand or, or you're, you're way ahead. So and it's hard to kind of abstract without a hand in front of us, and we're going to have some hands that I think we, we talk about this. But just generally, you know, is there a way that you can size your bets when you know that you're trying to get it all in? On the on the flop on the turn and then to get like what are we trying to get to are we trying to get to a pot size bet on the river are we trying to get to where you know our stack is significantly less than the pot so that you know like half the pot or or, or is there generally something you're working towards when you're trying to get the stacks in there's just so many variables to take into account like it's going to depend a lot on your opponent and their tendencies uh, what you think their range is what your exact hand is stack sizes I mean it's just going to depend on a lot anything else Derek before we jump into the hands. Nope, I think that's it. Let's jump right into the hands. Okay, so hand number one uh, is actually taken from our forums over at tournamentpokeredge.com. It's from the, a full tilt poker 10.5k guarantee. It's a rebuy. We are, or the hero is in the small blind uh, with 7.5 offsuit. So we start the hand with 13.6k, and the blinds are only 50 to 100, so obviously we're very deep. We get a couple of limbers. And it gets to us in the small blind, and we complete uh, the extra 50. So first of all, guys, do you even think we should be completing here in the small blind with 5-7 off? Uh, I, I wouldn't. I would probably just just fold. 7-5 off is just a pretty crap hand, um, gapped, unsuited. We're not really going to flop many strong hands. Um, yeah, I mean, you're mainly looking to hit a straight, and that's like the only thing really... And you're 14k deep, so then, you know, percent of times you hit a straight versus percent of times you get in a hand like this and lose like one fourth your stack by the river, it's not gonna work out in your favor. Yeah, yeah you, you know, you know what I think happens here is you think, well, if I flop a straight or I hit 5-7, I could get paid by aces or whatever, but what I think you guys are saying, and I think a lot of people fail to, to recognize, is that you get yourself with these middling hands that you have to call a couple of bets where you're just bleeding you know, 1,000 chips or 2,000 chips along the way because you're not quite sure, and then you can't call a river bet or, or something along those lines. And 
that costs you a lot more in the long run than you make from hitting that magical flop. I think people discount the uh, the chips they, they lose even without getting to showdown. Might be, and, might be uh, I would agree with that, and I also think people just get sloppy when they have all these chips and forget to or not forget to realize, maybe they just don't realize in the first place that the deeper you are, the more important it is to be in position and the bigger a disadvantage it is to be out of position. When you're like 140 big lines deep, you're just going to make far bigger mistakes out of position than you will. Yeah, and you can't maximize your value as much when you're out of position. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So basically, there's nothing working for this guy here. (laughs) <laughs> you just say, yeah, nothing going for him. <laughs> well, the, the good news, I guess, is that we go to the flop here four ways. And, and we the have flop a straight comes, draw. Yeah, the flop comes four, five, six with two diamonds. So in terms of hands we were hoping to see, I guess this certainly fits into the category of a decent flop for us. Yeah. So when, when mean, we flop this, this is that this flop also smashes the range of both those limpers. What, you mean like um, they're going to have, what, a couple of overpairs or even a couple of sets in that range or even yeah. draws? Yeah. I mean, yeah, a lot of their limp pre-flops, especially, especially when they limp in early position, a lot of people love to do that with, like, little connectors and pairs. So there, right. you're going to see people with sets, straights, uh, nut flush draw, and, uh, and two overs, nut flush draw, and a straight draw. Uh, yeah, so I'd be looking to check call and not really trying to make this pot bigger, even though it does seem to be decent for our hand. Yeah, because once you bet and you're faced with raises, now you have a bloated pot, right? And so you, exactly. every decision is going to be very expensive, whereas if we keep it small, we have decisions to make, but they're not as impactful to, to our stack. And later on, if we have to make a decision on the river, it's not going to be for the entire stack. Yeah, right. I mean, when we bet and then three bet, we're just getting to a point where we're going to get the chips in at an equity disadvantage. Like, we're going we're gonna to have – he's going to have the equity, and we're going to be – at a disadvantage in the hand, whereas you can check and call and uh, probably profitably here with with second pair in the open-ended straight draw. But I don't think you can bet three bet, get the money in profitably here. So you're really just, to start with, you're, you're just probably check calling this flop. Definitely. Yep. But, but once you bet and get raised, then you're just, are you going to, you're going to flat that raise, I assume? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's definitely. 250 it's more. It's, it's like so a raise. Yeah, yeah, you've got direct so. odds for a straight draw as well. So, I mean, there's no point in fooling. So, okay. so, so the bet sizing here is to not bet. <laughs> we want to yeah. keep it small. We want to keep this 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 possible. Okay, that makes sense. So in the actual hand, as played, um, our hero leads out from the small blind um, with you know middle pair and an open ender. He leads out for two fifty five. The big blind calls, and then the under the gun, uh, the original under the gun limper raises to five ten. And then when it gets back to us, uh, the hero makes it thirteen twenty. So as we've discussed, this is just sort of bloating the pot and spewing, and, and really um, we should just be check-calling this flop. Yeah. Okay. So uh, we go to the turn with a 36.50 in the pot, and the turn is the eight of diamonds. So now we've hit our straight, but obviously we, we, the turn also brought a flush draw. So with 36.50 in the pot, and we always still have a lot of chips behind, are we now betting this? I would check fold, depending check on fold. sizing. I mean, if he bets again, then you're only, you know, you're chopping at best most of the time. You know, most sets or two pair or whatever are going to check back that flop or that turn most, like 99% of the time. So if he bets, he has a flush or a straight and neither of those you're really beating. So I'd probably fold. 
unless he made it like one tenth pot or whatever. Yeah, I, like I think that this is this is a, a spot where the difference between me and Ryan starts to materialize because I don't know if in game I would actually fold here, but I know this is the type of fold that Ryan's really good at making. And when I hear him describe it, um, it seems obvious that check fold here is best. Yeah, yeah it just and, seems like when. After he raises you on the flop and then you call and then he bets when the diamond gets there and the straight gets there, like he's not, and especially when he bets big, it's just, there's just not anything he really is not beating you, I don't think. Yeah, I was going to ask, you know, speaking of bet sizing, what do you make of Villain basically betting pot on the turn here? I mean, it, to me, it looks like he has a flush draw and he thinks you have a straight draw, which we do. On, on the turn, that, on, on the turn where we where the or not not a not a draw, but you know on the flop, right? Okay. Not, on the flop, you had a draw, but now he's like, okay, completed, and I just hit my ace three of diamonds or whatever, and now right. I, I can stack him by the river because you guys are so deep. The bigger he's betting on the turn, it means he wants to get as much as he can on the river, I assume, and that means that the bigger he's betting on the turn is more of a nut hand, so he probably has the flush. Yeah, actually, I think this is interesting from the villain's perspective. If we think that the villain, you know, has hit a, hit a flush hit a flush here, um, what, is this a good this this a good number? This he bets thirty three hundred into thirty six fifty. I mean, uh, no. that, what's a good number if if we assume we're going to try I mean, to get I guess in? It's all right, but it just seems a little bit big. A little bit, yeah, right. I mean, considering considering the flop action, I guess you could get away with a really transparent bet size like this, especially. In, in this tournament, if if the player you're playing against is weak and you don't think he's really hand-reading well and you think he has a straight here a ton of the time and can't fold it, then, you know, by all means, go for max value, but it's definitely exploitable. Yeah, another thing here with uh, the whole hand in general, something you can do more often when you're facing a decision like that on the turn is to go back and look on the flop and see what happened. And, you know, you gotta really ask yourself what he's really raising a min raise on the flop, like 255 to 510, especially right. if someone else left to act, and it's a lot more likely that it's like some kind of a draw than, and especially after he calls the three bet on the flop. Yeah. So it's more likely, in my opinion, some kind of like a draw that's just like, alright, I don't want you to have the lead in the hand, so I'm gonna min raise. Okay, so he bets 3300 into 3650. So if he assumes that the hero calls, uh, they're gonna have about a uh, approximately 11k pot by the river, and I think that's going to be a little more than what the hero has left in his his yeah. hand. There's yeah, we have a little bit less than pot left. Right. So okay. So 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 what would you bet here then if you if you were this vet man and and he on the river? His, yeah, exactly. Well, I would plan on shoving. Yeah. Shove it, right. Okay. Yeah, because that's. I think that's the the question now. So let's assume. I know we're kind of taking the hand backwards, and we're we're removing the hero from the uh the, the center of of this hand. But if the villain has the strong hand here, and now we have a pot size bet left, and imagine the hero checks to us, do we believe we'll get called enough? Well, I guess if we. If I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't matter at that point whether you think that you're going to believe that you're going to get called or not. It's just more of. One, I mean, yeah, sometimes you're definitely going to call, but sometimes you're going to fold as well. But it's more of the fact of, is this the way this guy played the hand versus me and now he's checking the river? Does he really ever have me beat? Right. And if he doesn't, then you just got to assume that you have the best hand and hope he calls you down. Okay, and we don't want to try to, we don't want to try to do like a small bet to try to get him to, to call with a weaker hand. Like if we bet like 
3K or 4K, you know, a third of the pot. Well, I think at the lower limits on a board like this where, like, if you have the flush and it's so obvious that someone probably has, like, a straight or something that you beat, then I just try and go maximum value and hope they station. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't do that. I think that, I think there's a mistake there. I, I, and you definitely see it at the higher levels, but I think at the lower levels you don't see people realizing that the person has come along with you this far. And yeah, I think a lot of people definitely don't maximize their value. Yeah, you just got to think what what is why is this person coming this far with with me? And even though he's checking to me, he has a hand that he believes has showdown value. And when I bet pot here, um, you know, he might call it just as much as he calls thirty four hundred because because he he thinks his hand is strong enough to see to see the the, the showdown. And okay, well, just as a comment, this, this river blocking bet is just I mean I don't I don't understand what it accomplishes other than okay. getting called. Other than losing money, right? Uh, it definitely accomplishes that. Because when the board when the board pairs the one the one basically the one part of his range that you were beating, you now lose to. Right. Like if, yeah. if he happened to have a set that he was playing a little too fast. See, like the river, guess. the river actually is like a fun spot. Like if you were facing someone where you can actually like check maybe, shove, or yeah, well, maybe not check shove, but like just suddenly like lead your whole stack, like just shove pot with yeah. but it really doesn't make sense at the same time so like it'd have to be like i, I doubt you're ever gonna need a fold but if someone really thought that maybe just because i doubt you're check calling the turn with this with the two pairs head when it's so big so right. you really can't represent but if it was like small on the turn where maybe you would just check call that scary turn with like a set or two pair and try and boat up because you didn't believe them or just because you wanted to boat up and then suddenly you boat and just shove because you think they might check behind, but I, I doubt it. Yeah. yeah, just me being crazy. <laughs> no, it is a it is it is a cool spot, and it's a it's a good card for us. But yeah, I think you're right. I don't think he's ever folding. Yeah, yeah. Let's move on to hand number two. You want to run this one down for us, Diego? Yeah. Okay. So let's see what happens here. Um, this is also from the forum. It was a one dollar tournament. Uh, blinds are at ten twenty. And our hero is in the big blind with uh, 1970, and so he's got about 198 big blinds. Uh, he has queens in the big blind, and there are one, two, three. There's three limpers, including the small blinds, and it gets to him in the big blind, and he makes it 130. So first off, I guess a question for you guys is, with multiple limps, what do you guys usually raise? Is there is it is it the the standard three x plus one for each each limp or do you guys? Uh, have- out of position, I might make a little bit more. Okay. Yeah, uh, that's, that's my sta- that's my standard rule. But when it's out of position, I'll add another big blind or two. Okay. Yeah, so, so I probably make like one sixty here pre. Yeah, because because then one guy calls, then you're gonna have a cascading <laughs> series of callers, right? <laughs> yeah. And you're gonna play out of position, not just one guy, but four guys. But yeah, yeah like and if you can make and, it close to the pot where like if you get a good flop you're basically just going all in. Exactly. Like we were saying before, if you are forced to play out of position, you're much better off playing as shallow as possible. So making this knowing that we're gonna be getting at least one or all of them to call, you wanna make it a little bit bigger so that post flop you can just sort of bet call good flops and not have to really worry about it. Why are we better off being shallow out of position? That's an interesting point. Just because you there's less room for you to make a big mistake. Their range is going to be wide enough that you can just bet call it off as opposed to like three bets going in on a flop or something like that. And so if the 
flop is you know awful for us if there's a king or an ace on it does that mean that because we're shallow we're more likely to just check fold or we get you know i mean i know it would depend in this hand yeah, i mean depend I know depend on how many people if if it were heads up i i guess i would really be looking to fold necessarily but if we got like three callers and we went four way to a an ace high flop I, I might just check fold yeah okay well in this case the hero makes it 130 so he he had the right idea um he didn't you know he he i, I think he went he did go bigger than just 3x plus 1. Um, he added another 10 chips in there, but uh, not as big as I think you guys were It looks like – is that just pot? It looks like it might just be pot. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. Okay, so that's that's what he does. Um, and then he does get, unfortunately, called by three – the same three guys. It looks like the one guy folded. So now he's going four-handed to the flop. Um, and, you know, he's the flop is 540 chips in the in the pot, and he's – you know, at this point, got uh, two thousand. No, he's got actually like eighteen hundred. Yeah, eighteen forty, I think. So, okay, so 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 he's got eighteen forty, and the he's first to act, and it's nine five jack. So, I mean, obviously, I'm assuming we, we really like this flop. What's a good seabed size here with the flop the being five forty? The pot's five forty, right? Anything like three hundred to three fifty. Okay. Why not smaller? Why not bigger? Uh, bigger is just going to be really obvious, and people probably fold jacks, even at the lower level, just because they're like, okay, he has another pair. But uh, smaller, I think, just gets a lot of, like, four ways. You don't want people to really be calling, like, six, seven, and, like, there's random draws and nines that can hit two pair. I mean, I guess you do want them, but I think if you make it around, like, a little over half pot, it inspires people to shove more often than call, and you want people to just try and get their whole chips in on this flop with any kind of draw or whatnot. Right. But I, I think betting smaller can be okay. Like I don't think it's bad. I think it's much better to bet smaller than to bet bigger. Cool. Yeah, he, he goes to 360. So I think that's right in the range you kind of were, were talking about, right? Yeah. I mean, I think like I think with like a lot of people who don't know what they're doing, it's better to just put more chips in with you know, the best hand and just hope that they either shove or call or whatever. So when in doubt, err on the side of slightly bigger. Yeah, just because I think if they're going to call anything, you know, the difference between 200 or 360, they're just going to call it anyway, so might as well charge them. Yes, he goes exactly two-thirds, so I think I think I don't think anyone really has anything to complain about what he, what he bets here. And he does get called by one player. Um, so now we're two-handed. We're going to the turn. Uh, there's 1260 in the pot. And turn comes seven of hearts, and um, he's got fourteen eighty left. So what are you guys doing here? Are you trying to bet small to induce something, get some calls, or are we going to just try to stick it in now and and hopefully get a call? Well, with with there being twelve sixty in the pot and us having just over that, I think I would probably just shove and and you know hope he calls me with the jack. I don't think I I feel like betting smaller considering how. If we bet smaller than a shove, we would have to bet like 500 or something like that. Something that would look like we're maybe capable of folding. But I think considering that there's just about a pot size bet left, it's hard to do that. Do you have a check here? No. No, right? I just think you're you're just going to lose value from from like Jack X and 9X if he has that. Right, because I mean he 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 called our 360 bet, so. And it's not really that dry of a flop. I mean, there's the straight draw with the nine and the jack out there, but it's not super dry. Um, so we have to assume he has a piece of this, right? Uh, I would assume that, yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. that a large portion of his range is a jack or a nine. Right. And you I don't mean, want to give him free equity either. Yeah. And and so the villain, uh, the hero, does actually jam here. Um, 
and we don't know what happened in, in, in the message board. Uh, on the forum, he didn't post results, so we don't know if we got called or not, but uh, he did. I think he, he got did called. Jam. He did? I think, you think? I think it was a good play, and he got called by Jack-10, and he held. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, like, like, let's, let's think about that. This guy calls us from he limped under the gun and then he calls our he calls our our, our raise preflop so i mean jack 10 does sound like right you know right in his range or 910 or something right i mean it yep. sounds like you know or jack queen right so it's probably a big part of his range uh, a, a weak jack and he's probably not falling to that so all right so yeah we'll move on to hand number three here uh this hand is also from uh, our forums this is a poker stars two dollar tournament and we are at 100-200 with a 25 ante. We start the hand with uh, 31k, so that's about 155 big blinds. So obviously we're really deep, and, and most of the people at our table are very deep. Uh, we're on the button with the 7-8 of diamonds. It folds around to us. I think we can all agree that we're going to raise our 7-8 of diamonds here on the button. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Um, all right, so and given, what do you think? Given how oh, deep we are, I think his raise preflop sizing is fine. So we're at one two, and he bets five sixty five, right? And we have a hundred. We're deep. We're like we have one hundred. Well, it's folded to us, and then let's the, look within the, the blind. The, the small blind has fifty big blinds, and the right. big blind has sixty six. Yeah. So you, you guys both agree this this raise is about the right size. I think I usually make it five fifty five here as my standard raise. So it's certainly right where I would put it. But you guys both agree. Looks yeah. Fun, eh? Yeah. I like it. Okay. So we get called by these. The small blind and the big blind. So now there's 19.20 in the pot going to the flop. Uh, flop could not be much better for us. It's eight of clubs, ten of diamonds, nine of diamonds. So we pretty much flop the world. So with with 19.20 in the pot here, we obviously have position on the button. The uh, first player to act bets 200 into this into this almost 2k pot, and the guy behind him calls. So it, you know, it comes to us with somebody basically betting. 10% of the pot and getting a call. What do we do here? Because you actually see this quite a bit. It's kind of like, well, do I just make like a 3 or 4x raise over this, or do I bet pot and, and you really know, try to get this thing up? Be- before you guys even answer what you do here, what are you thinking when this happens? Because this is like, I have no idea what these guys are doing I, when, they, when they do that. I treat a min bet like a check, pretty much. Uh, it's a good good strategy, okay. I uh, I would just... And like when, when, when after the bet and the call, I would just put in. I mean, obviously the pot is now 400 chips bigger, but I would just put in like a normal, whatever my normal C bet would be here. I would just make that raise. Um, I don't think I don't like just like he basically three X's over the 200. I don't really like that just because I don't know that we necessarily have the best hand right now. Certainly we have tons of equity, but I would be looking to make it a little bit bigger and just put pressure on these guys to, to fold uh, eventually at some point in this hand or get money in for when we eventually hit. I really like the way you put that where you just you treat a min bet as a check because it, it kind of puts it puts your next move a little bit more in perspective because I think a lot of times when I see this, I just go, well, it kind of looks ridiculous for me to raise to, you know, 1500 here when he made it 200. But if that's your, if that's going to be your normal C bet or whatever your normal C bet is going to be, I think it, it makes a lot more sense in that context. So cool. All right. So as you said, he, you know, he, he basically puts in the three X raise to 665. Um, both guys call, and we go to a turn, which is the four of spades, and there's now almost 4K in the pot, 39.15. Um, both players check to us. Check it back. Um, yeah, you like checking back here? Yeah. 
And why is that? You maybe <laughs> just for, because we don't have a main hand and it's pot control and all. Yeah, all I mean, that. just I mean, the one dude min bets and the other guy calls before it gets tough. So I assume the one guy at min bet probably has some kind of something like maybe a jack, maybe a seven, maybe a random ten or a random eight, nine, whatever. But the point is really like on this turn, you know, we didn't hit anything and we've got two people in the pot and the pot's four k. So really, betting is you know you're not really sure if you're, they're going to fold any kind of pair. So when you bet, you're really only getting called by better. And now that the turn came, you have less outs. So by this point, I think it's a little bit better to check and just kind of hope to hit, especially when, you know, like you raise the flop and then you check back. It kind of looks like you have nothing, so you might get a lot of value on the river when you do hit, yeah, especially I, against two people. So And also, like, on this turn where we have tons of equity in this pot and the only way we don't realize that equity is by betting – then it seems kind of stupid to bet. So good news is our hero checks behind, so it does what at least we think is the right thing. Uh, the river brings the jack of clubs. Obviously, the pot is still just under 4K. So now, you know, we've obviously sort of gotten there, but the board is pretty scary now with 8, 9, 10 jack on the board. And villain bets 3,800. Snap fold. <laughs> yeah, I think this is a pretty easy fold. Yeah, the, f- the first guy does fold, and then it comes to us, and, and obviously we're looking at a pot size bet, so this is just an easy fold here. I mean, for why it's an easy fold, yeah, I mean, you've got it. This guy's betting pot into two people when both of our ranges could include a queen as well as an eight, as well as whatever. So he's really betting into two ranges that aren't suggestively weak on this river, so the fact that he does that makes it so much more likely that he has a queen here, or like even king, queen king. Yeah, when I, when I see this bet it's like in in this situation as the hand played out it's like he never doesn't have the queen yeah it's like every time i mean if he has a seven he's not betting it like this he's probably checking or betting like a blocker kind of bet yeah all right we have one more hand for you guys to uh to go over with us diego you want to run this one down for us yeah so so the next hand is uh from the forums again it's a ten dollar tournament on poker stars it is 75 150 blinds and our hero is under the gun with 7K, 7.1K, so he has about 47 big blinds, and he has aces. Uh, and there's actually quite a few stacks out here. I believe he says this is the first level back on the on a rebuy. Um, so <clears throat> so we have we are we're pretty deep stacked here. And at 75.150, this deep, uh, this our hero here bets 400. Uh, are we at that range now with the 47 big blinds where we want to go a little less than than 3x? Is that as far oh, yeah. as a reasonable number here at this point? Yeah, I mean, I'd be min-raising, but 400 is definitely reasonable. I definitely I don't like 3x with that stack. Right. So, but Ryan, when you min-raise, I mean, when you make it 300, don't aren't we going to be playing a ton of, like, three or four players maybe out of position? With like, Aren't we a little worried about that with such an early position min-raise? Meh. <laughs> Could you expand on that, man? <laughs> I mean, you will sometimes, but I mean, I don't think it really changes. I don't think the number of flatters you get really changes all that much, whether you make it 300 or 400. Mm-hmm. I think okay. you'll still get flatted just, well, not just as much maybe, but you know, a good amount as much. And if you're doing it with your whole range, it's not a big deal. Okay. And do you think? Do you think part of it too is just the ability to sort of get away from hands like this if things get crazy? You know, like some people I think are afraid, well, if I just min-raise and I get four callers and then action gets kind of crazy, like I don't want to re- I don't want to ever fold my aces, but 
Well, I mean, you can definitely fold your aces. I mean, you've just got to examine every street if you have the best hand or not. I don't know. I guess I'm just so used to it and comfortable with what's going on. I just, you know, if I feel like my hand's beat, I can get rid of it pretty easily, but I'm just going to play it for value most of the time. And if people are going to go crazy on certain flops, I'm just going to get out of it. Yeah. Like, I mean, if I bet like a seven, eight, nine flop, like, I just bet it, and then someone raises, I'm just going to fold. Right. I mean, it's not that hard. Right. And and most and, and even a flop like King-9-3, like, most of the time you're just going to get value, but if suddenly someone does something different on this, you know, board texture than, like, the 90% of other times you're on this board texture and you just bet, bet, bet and get called by a king, then you can be, you know, comfortable folding it. Like, if someone just starts going crazy and trying to make the pot really big, then... It usually means you're beat. Okay. Well, well, that's um. Let, let, let's let's talk about that then, because we do get one call here um from the MP2 who has 8K, and remember we have 7K, so at, at 75, 150 he has 53 big blinds, and the fl- there's a thousand twenty-five in the pot, and the flop comes king of diamonds, nine of hearts, and three of clubs, so it's king nine three rags. I'm sorry, king nine three rainbow. Uh, and we are first to act, and what's your seabed size here? Half pot. Yeah, so, I think a seabed's pretty maybe much Maybe even, like, less than half pot. Really? That, I just have to say, I, I, I wouldn't... It was four-handed on the flop. Four-handed on the flop, right? No, no, or, it was two-handed. No. Two-handed on the flop. Uh, okay, two-handed on the flop. Yeah, I just bet half pot. Sorry. Half pot. Okay. If it was, like, three or four-handed, I'd probably bet less. <laughs> bet 600 here uh, into the 1,000, and he gets a call. So and I don't think there's anything too interesting about that. Um, you know, it's a C bet. Uh, we're trying to get. I think he's trying to get value here from the Kings, just as Ryan you just said. We're gonna, you know, on, on this kind of board, we're gonna bet that bet and try to get value from a King. I think that's what we're trying to do here. Yeah. Um, and we do get the the call on the flop, and then the turn is the four of hearts. So no, you know, I don't think that really changes much uh, here. And now the pot is twenty two hundred. And if we take away a thousand from our stack, uh, we're playing with six thousand behind. So I think this is a really interesting spot to figure out what, how do we, how do we build this pot to where we, you know, do we want to try to get stacks in on the river? And if we do, um, you know, what, what's a good bet size here? Bet whatever, whatever leaves yourself. Your stack size is the exact stack size of the pot on the river. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but but is that? But that would be. I mean, okay, so if he bets... I mean, that's what I do. Right, okay, so let, let's talk about that. So so we have 6K left and there's 2K in the pot. So if we bet 2K into the 2K uh, pot that's there, it's we're going to have 4K, um, and the pot's going to be 6K. Yeah, so right. you don't need to bet that much. Okay, so then let's let's scale it. So we bet 15K. Uh, that means there's going to be... Fi- fi- sorry, 1,500. That means there's going to be 5,000 in the pot on the, on the, on the uh, river. And that's going to leave us with 4,500. 45. We better with 1,500. Um, we go even smaller. I would do like 1,350. Yeah, I was thinking 1,300. Okay, so we go 1,300. Now we have, and you know, I I, I know we're kind of just doing this math uh, kind of tedious, but I think it, it actually helps to to talk through this. Um, so if we bet 1,300, that's 4,800 in the pot, and we have 47 left. Yeah, I think that's better. Also, it gives him betting a little bit smaller on the turn is going to he'll he'll probably call it more like if we just suddenly pot it here, he might level himself into a into a big fold. Um 
Mm-hmm. And and right. then on the on the river when we shove, there'll be so much money in the pot, so he'll he'll probably be more likely to call. Right. Uh, so I think what we just went through is what I think the point of this hand is, and and what I I think we want to talk about and and get the listeners to to to, to start doing. So we're at the turn. So we 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 you know Ryan, you said bet what whatever makes a pot size bet and is that generally the rule that we should be working with well generally if the if it's not with these stack sizes yeah but i'm not going to make like a a pot size bet on the turn just so i can shove the river for pot like i still want to be able to keep my turn bets you know reasonably sized so that i can make the same bets with air and be able to have double barrels and triple barrels in my range Mm -hmm. and not have to like put in a ton of chips to double barrel someone so, like, in a spot like this where, like, 40 big blinds, I'm always doing it, but, um, like, if we're, like, 80 big blinds, and right. I, I'll just make, like, two-thirds pot on the turn or something if I'm trying to get value. Yeah, this just so happens to be a, a spot where you're you're just bet-bet-betting to get to get an all-in by the river. Right, yeah. and um, I think that's why I picked this hand from the forum. Because consider, considering our position pre-flop and then the flop action, like, he's just probably rarely folding. So we can just pretty comfortably just, you know, bet whatever we need to on the turn to shove the river. Yep. Yeah. And on that same note, when you get to move up in stakes and playing against the same people when you get a flop like this, that's when you start, you know, king nine three flop. People aren't just going to be calling that with a king. So you can start, you know, barreling turns against people who can actually fold and instead of people who never fold. And that's, you know, that's where you get more types of bluffs in your, in your range. And then when you actually make that second barrel on the turn there to 1,300, like a lot of the time the opponent's going to know that the river shove's coming a good amount of time. So they're actually going to have to make their decision on the turn there a lot of the time instead of on the river because they know that the shove's coming and it creates a lot more um, pressure that way. Right. Here, I guess we're not assuming he's thinking in that level. We're right. We're assuming he has a king, so we're going to just... Yeah. Right, right. Cool. Yeah, and you mentioned... You know, obviously we talked about betting 1350 on the turn or somewhere thereabouts because it, it sets up that nice river shove, but doesn't it also give the villain a little more room to think maybe he can push us off a hand by jamming? Sure. You know, if we bet, if we bet full pot here, then it's kind of like, well, clearly this guy's never. I don't, I don't think, I don't think on this texture you're going to get a lot of played backness, but like if the flop was like two hearts and you might think that he has like a flush draw, then sure, like he could just jam it on the turn. Good stuff. Good. Well, excellent. I want to thank uh, Charles and Ryan for joining us today for the strategy segment of our podcast. And uh, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back in just a few minutes. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Thanks for having us. Yep, it was great being here. See ya. This is Killingbird from TournamentPokerEdge.com, here to tell you about our exclusive rakeback program. Tournament Poker Edge offers up to 40% rakeback on sites such as Full Tilt Poker, Absolute Poker, Ultimate Bet, and Cake Poker. If you're playing online and not getting rakeback, you are just giving money away. So visit rakeback.tournamentpokeredge.com and sign up for the Tournament Poker Edge rakeback program and start getting paid to play today. Oh,
Welcome back to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. Want to say thank you to Panda and Hagbard Celine for stopping in. Um, I thought that was a great conversation uh, yeah. that we have with those guys today. Wow, yeah, I, I definitely learned some stuff in that one that I, I, you know, has been has counter to some of the things that I do. Uh, that was really interesting. Yeah, I think for me, like listening to Panda um, when he was talking about using your stack size to determine your preflop raise size as opposed to the blind levels. Yeah, I think I mentioned it during the segment, but we, I, I've always just thought, oh, once anties kick in, I can lower my my preflop raise size. Yeah. Uh, but it sounds like maybe I need to rethink that a little bit, or at least experiment with it to see. You know, he he said himself, you know, not, it's not what everybody does, but it's something he feels really comfortable doing. So I think I might play around with that a little bit, may, maybe at the lower stakes to begin with, and then maybe start working that into my game a little bit. Yeah, well, you know, especially, I mean, especially for him, he's so good post-flop that he, you know, it's really to his advantage to control the pot sizes uh, moving into that. But, I mean, I, 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 I kind of did that. Like, when we get to, like, 5100 or 75150, I would be um, changing my, my my open size already. But mm-hmm. he does it even earlier. And like you said, it's the blind, uh, not the blind levels. Stack, you know, his, his, his stack was really what he was looking at. And he's, he's right. I just never really thought of it that way. I just kind of automatically went when the, when the blinds changed. Because um, usually it's correlated to, well, you know, the average stack at this at this blind level, you know, is one of the, you know, makes it correct in many cases, but it's it's really about your stack or the effective stacks behind you. So that, that makes a lot of sense. Actually, what really um, really surprised me out of that, and you know, I'm, I'm, I, I'll admit this, I, I always use, you know, I usually bet two-thirds. I mean, we're, we're talking about early stages here. So uh, later stages when stacks are shallower, I, I usually don't see bet, you know, two-thirds of a pot. I usually go a little bit over half. But it really surprised me to hear them recommend half or even under half size um, C-bet uh, percentages uh, based on some of the stacks of the people in the hands. Um, I That didn't even enter my mind. Uh, it was a really, that was a discovery for me. It was really interesting. Yeah, I thought that was pretty fascinating too. And it's one of those things that I think is going to take some practice, not only just to learn how to, to do everything properly, but also to get comfortable with it. Because like you said, you know, somebody like like Ryan uh, is, is so good post-flop that I think it's probably a little easier for him than it will be for me. So I, th- I think I need to, to get to the point where I feel super comfortable post-flop and I'm able to, to kind of play pots. And, yeah. And and also, like, he talked about lay down big hands, you know. Yeah, well, you know what? So. That um, that 8-7 suited hand was pretty interesting where we, you know, we we flopped the, the, the open-ended, uh, not the open-ended, we, we flopped the, the straight flush draw with the 8, mm-hmm. and by the time we got to the river, we had the, the under straight, the low end of the straight, and he recommend, you know, he was like instantly fold when the guy bet a pot size bet. And man, like that's why that's what I'm talking about with thinking about hands. Like he walked us through the logic of that hand, and it's a clear fold. When he explained it, it's an absolute clear fold. Yeah. And you know, just playing ten tables and not really thinking, you make a lot of mistakes. So that was really interesting to walk through that. And I, I definitely think I'm going to play less tables and just kind of try to think more street by street. Um, than I have yeah, been. yeah, I think that's a, a really good idea. You know, to, to sort of scale back the number of tables you're playing. Um, anytime you you realize that maybe you're you're making some mistakes, or you're or you're, like I said, you're try, you want to try out some new uh, some new concepts or something. I think it's always good to scale back the number of tables you're playing, so you can pay a little bit more attention, maybe take some notes, and just and sort of you know slow everything down a little bit. So yeah. uh, I think it's a good idea, and I think I might borrow that idea from you. 
Cool, cool. And and I also thought the um the hand with the aces, the last hand we talked about was pretty interesting. Um, you know, it was a pretty straightforward hand as as both Ryan and Charlie said. You know, on a, on a in a lower stakes tournament with a a, a board like King Nine Three with aces, you're just going to be trying to get the chips in because you're going to get called by King so much. But once we decided that, um, and the turn was harmless, you know, the question of how do we size our turn bet to extract the most value and set ourselves up for, you know, a pot size river shove. I, I, you know, I think it's, it depends on your skill, like your, your level of sophistication and how much you've played and, 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 you know, your experience level. And I think it's pretty straightforward to a lot of people who might be listening to this podcast, but you know, it's a really important concept and something that you should be able to do while you're playing. And if you're not, you should really listen to that hand and think about the thought process we went through and how we arrived at sort of like 1300 as the the bet size to set up the perfect river yeah yeah i just thought that was really really neat and interesting and and uh might be helpful for a lot of people who don't think that way yeah i think eventually it'll be it'll become one of those things that the, the math becomes as automatic as you know the math of calculating how many big blinds you have and things like that right you know you, you'll be able to instantly go okay i need to bet this much on the turn so that i can make X-sized river shove or whatever. Yep. Um, so yeah, I thought that was really interesting as well. All right, so let's uh, let's move on and talk a little bit about what is going on in the world of tournament poker edge. Great. Obviously, uh, the biggest news of the week is that we brought on uh, Mark Diphthrong Herm to be a guest pro for the site, which uh, I'm over the top ex- excited about. I cannot wait to watch his videos. Have you seen? Have you ever watched him play? I, I you know I've watched him. In various tournaments. In fact, I sweated him and, and Casey when they were deep in the million, um, which of course Diphthrong went on to win. Uh, you know, I started out sweating Casey, and then when Casey busted, I started sweating Dip and, and sweated him all the way to the win. So it was yeah. it was really interesting. But I can't wait to see the whole cards because that's what's going to be really interesting. Yeah. I mean, you know, not necessarily the whole cards from that tournament, but just watching him and his thought process. Yeah, I think he's like a genius. Like I, I think he's one of those people who who knows something that you know a lot of people like just the rest of the world doesn't hasn't figured out yet. Because I was watching that too, and you know he was he was riding Ted Big Blinds the whole time, and he was. He was opening fold, open folding, which, but like he never was at danger. Like I don't know, and he, you know, and he was he was shoving in the appropriate spots, and um, you know, obviously I didn't see his his cards a lot, but he seemed to make zero mistakes, and he he knew how to leverage what he had uh, in the mm-hmm. perfect spots, and that's so important late in tournaments. And I just, you know, I'm really interested to, to see uh, what he does there. So I'm excited about him joining as a guest pro as well. Yeah. And, and Casey talks really highly of him. Yeah. You know, yeah. If, if a big dog thinks somebody's good, then you can pretty much guess they're, they're pretty darn good. So. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Excited about that. Yep. So, uh, you know, stay tuned. We'll, we'll be getting some videos out from, from dip here real soon. Yep. Um, let's, let's talk a little bit about the tournament poker edge league. Yeah. So, um, the league is going strong. Um, we are how, how far are we into it now? We're about. Uh, I think as of this recording, we're six. Uh, yeah, I think six tournaments in. Six tournaments in out of a twenty twenty tournament season. If you are a member and haven't joined yet, there are twenty tournaments in the cycle. We're going to count the best ten results. So you know, by the time you hear this, there'll still be ten left. So uh, you can still join. I mean, there's no, it's, there's no charge to be in it so it's you know there's no it's just neutral ev to to join it anyway but um it actually is plus ev because there's prizes added and our current leader is captain spaulding he has 83 points 
And second place is Potty Train Me with 64. And Rivermen 123 with 63. So it's pretty close. Uh, you know, any one tournament right now, a win and a non place by one of the top three could could change the tournament, the, the standing significantly. Or if you final, you know, top three, some of the last yep. ones, you can you know, have a good chance of winning it. So, so it looks like that's moving along well. Yeah, and I, I've played in a couple of them, and uh, and they've been a lot of fun. It's it, if if for no other reason than just a chance to hang out in the chat room and and BS with some of the members, and um, it's always it's always fun. So you know, and they're cheap enough that it's cheaper than going to Starbucks. So it's uh, it's money well spent in my opinion. Um, in other areas of the site, we uh, we're kind of in in full satellite mode in the poker world and on Tournament Poker Edge. Um, obviously, with FTOPS kicking off soon and the PCA sats running and, and things like that, you know, a lot of satellite action going on. So um, we've rolled out some educational materials, if you will, on satellites, including uh, the, the great article from Cougars 4444 on FTOP satellites. Yeah. And, uh, and also we have some videos, right? In, yeah. He, uh, he did it. On satellites. Yep. Yep. He did a series on um, the FTOP satellite videos, uh, the FTOP satellites, you know, and in his, it's not just basically him loading up and saying this is what you do. You know, he talks about the type of satellites to play, and this is you know very closely tied into his article, which is free, so you don't need to be a member to, to read the, the article. You can go check that out, and um, and he talks about you know selection, game selection, the best satellites to play, and then how to play them through, in his video. So so that's pretty neat. And also coming up, this is by demand, by member demand. Um, this is a pretty neat one that's coming up. Big Dog turned the recorder on on a Sunday. Um, so that should be a fun one to watch because he is dominating Sundays this year. So we should uh, we should have some fun watching how he plays the the, the Sunday majors. Uh, and Derek is in the line of fire with his ticket oh. to the Man Series is coming. <laughs> so I'm so afraid. Yeah, you should be. You should be. <laughs> I can't wait to see them beat you up. Um, uh, I think we need. I think we need to bring in another man. Yes. <laughs> so, that, so that we're not the ones who are always getting destroyed. We, hire an, we just need an intern or something. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. Well, you know what? Uh, I've been. I just tell everyone that I started this site for free coaching, and that generally. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so. Um, yeah. So anyway, that 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 that's coming up too, and that that's a good series as well. And that one's Big Dog and T Twist. Um, Doing the tickets of the man on on Derek's uh, play in the what is it ten ten rebuy is that what it was? Uh, yeah, it was a ten uh, ten rebuy on full tilt, so that'll be fun. Great, cool. And one of the things that got a really good reaction that, that went up recently was your article on bankroll management. Yeah, you know, I think we've been getting that question all the, like every three or four days. A, a, a thread would pop up. What bankroll should I you know what bankroll should I have to play this tournament? What, what tournament should I be playing with you know? $2,000 or a bankroll. And I thought it was just time that we sort of formalize the answers that we've been giving in, in, in the forum and really think about it deeply and, and provide some suggestions. So that article is up there. Um, it's an article on bankroll management and game selection. And I give, you know, just some general theory uh, around it and some suggestions based on different bankroll sizes and your level of risk tolerance and you know your willingness to go broke uh, if you're yeah. if, if you're if you're not if you're willing to go broke if you have no fear <laughs> then go play you know the 1k with clients like exactly Brian was talking about um if but but in more proper bankroll management i give you some suggestions on, on how to play based on your you know 
uh, adversity to risk. So, yeah, I thought it was a great article, and, and definitely recommend all our listeners to go check that out. And again, that's that's one of those things that you don't necessarily have to be a member to uh, to look at. So go over to tournamentpokeredge.com and, and check that out. Well worth the time it takes to uh, to read that article. So cool. Well, uh, another successful podcast in the books i thought it was a great episode thanks once again to charles and ryan for stopping in and we'll be back in a couple weeks with another episode thanks for joining us here on the tournament poker edge podcast catch you next time guys catch you next time later guys